am Vaij. Hi, I'm Nonvaij. Welcome to the Vaij and Nonvaij podcast. Hey everyone, today we have a special episode and a special guest with us. Uh, his name is Tanvir Arora and he has agreed to do this. So we want to thank him uh, from his very busy schedule. Um, we had to reschedule a few times before he could do this. Um, he works as a stand-up comic and uh, unlike our usual doctor, engineer, postgrads, we wanted to have this discussion because I think that you know it will be very interesting for our audience and uh, honestly it will be very interesting for me to talk to him and uh, get to know uh, how he got started with this and about you know his background. So uh, Tanvir, can you introduce yourself and give us a, give us a big, brief background about how you got involved in this? Sure. Uh, before I start, I want like the audience to know we didn't have to schedule it multiple times, just once. Just once we had to reschedule this. Uh, but no, thank you for having me on this, man. I am really excited about this. Um, and really happy what you guys are doing with this podcast. So that's pretty cool. Uh, how did I get started with stand-up comedy? That's pretty interesting. So much like any other uh, international student, my journey was pretty much the same, right? Move from India to here. Went to NAM and College Station, did my master's, did the regular stuff, got a job. And um, I always had an act to do something with comedy or maybe just with the industry as such. Like I remember when I was 18 and uh, there was this thing, the Great Indian Laughter Challenge in India. A lot of my friends were like, hey, why don't you try it for that? So I made a tape, I submitted it and I got a call back from them, uh, so which was pretty interesting. And I had no no experience whatsoever at that point. That is just literally an 18-year-old just making some silly jokes in my yeah, in my bedroom and I made a DVD out of it and sent it. And I got a call. I went there um, for an audition. And I see all these really popular people that I've seen on TV auditioning with me. And I, I that, that just scared me. I, had, I didn't expect that. And actually, in my audition, I just froze. I couldn't say a word. I literally just froze there. So obviously I got kicked out and the dream kind of died there. But after coming here and after working for a couple of years, um, we, uh, me and a couple of my buddies, we had um, a reunion in Vegas, you know, um, because af- after graduating, getting jobs, we just kind of scattered all around the U.S. So it was a really nice reunion. And at the end of three-day fun, we had a serious discussion, like a roundtable conference. And everyone was just pitching, oh, who's doing what? And everyone was like, hey, I'm really happy. I'm writing about chords or I don't know, I'm just developing this software or I'm a manager of this company. And I had nothing to prove. I was like, I just have a job and it's going okay. Uh, but at that point, I was like, you know what? I got to do something with my life. And I just blurted out, like, I'll do something. I want to do something creative before I turn 30. And right at that night, my wife, actually, she found a stand-up comedy class in Austin that she just signed me up and she's like, this is something you might want to do. And that morning I woke up and told all my friends, this is what I'm going to do. And that was five years back. And I think I've made pretty decent progress with that. And that's how I got started. Uh, that, that's uh, very nice to hear. So did you do your master's in engineering? I did MIS. But your undergrad was in- oh undergrad yeah yeah undergrad was uh, yeah computer engineering okay in that, that's yeah. nice it's like the Indian dream you yeah I followed that right yeah all the <laughs> all the norms I did that yeah first to engineering then you can do whatever you want. yeah you need to you need to get all the basics covered as an Indian yeah 
Um, uh, I just wanted to ask, like, how did your um, first gig in Austin go, by the way? Oh, that is pretty interesting. So, yeah, the very first gig was in Austin. So after the uh, end of the class, which was like an eight-week class, honestly, no one can teach you stand-up comedy. It, it is just like a nice nudge to get you started. But it was a decent class. But at the end of it, uh, we had this, like a showcase, you know, which was pretty nice because everyone's really supportive because you're really new at it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you invite your friends and family. It's always a sold-out show because like there's like 10 students. Everyone invites their friends and family. So it's it's really packed. And everyone goes easy on you because they know it's their first time. So they're really, really supportive. Like, And now if I go back and look at that video, I'm like, Jesus, that was, that was horrible. What did I do? Why did I do that? And why did people laugh at that, you know? But at that very moment, I, I remember I did not eat or drink the entire day. I was so nervous. I didn't even talk to my friends before the show. They wanted to just meet and wish me luck. I didn't want to do any of that. I just uh, was hiding inside. But it went well. It went well. Um, Given the circumstance that people were there to support, it actually made me feel like, oh, wow, this is something I can do. And just in that moment, you start feeling like, oh, you're a rock star and you just killed yeah. it. And uh, it literally, it gets you a feeling, oh, this is it. This is how Russell Peters uh, feels like. So <laughs> I've, I've made it. I've made it. But and then one week goes by and then you start doing open mics and then you realize, oh, OK, I, I suck at it. My friends and family lied to me. So. Oh, <laughs> But it was a good start. It was definitely a good start. Yeah, pity laughs can do that for you. Um, yeah. So you mentioned, you know, you thought you made it. So have the big guys like, you know, right. Bill Burr, Dave Chappelle, they've made it. And they right. they don't, they say that they've made it. So what, what is your definition now of having made it? or so And where the, are you in that journey? Right. And that's the thing I think a lot of people who are in this industry or who do the creative part, they... Uh, it, it, it just varies the definition of ma- making it, right? When you initially start, you always, it's like, oh, making it is probably just having a Netflix special or something like that, or being on Amazon. But that keeps changing every single day. I, I, I'm i pretty sure if you ask Dave Chappelle today and you ask him, has he made it? He'd probably say yes, but there's still that hunger to do more. Like even after getting, if you see people who've just got a Netflix special or an Amazon special, they got to do the, do it again the next morning. They got to do it yeah. the day after. It's not that you've made it and that's the end of it. It's not. So when I initially started, my thing was like, oh, yes, I just want like one special on some some channel and that's it. That's I've made, I've made it. But the more you do it, uh, it's the joy of doing it. It's the joy of waking up and doing this every single day of your life. You know, a lot of people tell you that if you really like going to work, that's the job that you need or you want. That's what it is with me and stand-up. So making it would probably be like doing this full-time. Yes, I would love the fame. I would love having a million followers and I love a Netflix special or HBO special or whatever. But uh, having to do this just throughout my life, um, that that's probably what I would say making it. So like every single day, I'm just doing comedy. That, that'll be it. And part of it, it is like comedy is usually at night. So you can sleep through the day. That's what I would call it, making it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that would be the dream. You know, you yeah. can wake up anytime and just work. So I think, yeah, Russell Peters had this where, you know, he, right. making it is like, you know, I just have to work for one hour and wake up anytime. Exactly. I mean, there's a lot of when people say you just have to work for one hour, yeah. it's one hour on stage. Okay. There's, a, of course, a lot of work behind it, but it's very flexible, right? I mean, I think most of the people, they don't like sit down and dedicate time to write jokes. It's just whenever and wherever. 
but the majority part yeah you wake up late you just chill throughout the day and you just go up on stage at night and that's it that's pretty much it it's a life <laughs> that's the life that's that's making it so someday so what kind of material do you do and does it differ city to city or you know like if you've done it in an other state right so again when you initially start when i first started in my first year of comedy i just had like maybe 5 6 minutes of material and that was it it didn't matter which city i was doing comedy in it didn't matter like which state it didn't matter the kind of audience i was just sticking to my script mm-hmm. uh and of course that doesn't go well because it has to it has to appeal to the audience the the age group the race the different city as you said even country i've done i've done different countries as well but over time i realized and over time you get that experience um that okay your material needs to at least appeal at least be a little relatable so my material usually i am not a political com- comedian i don't don't do any of those jokes um i don't even follow politics so it's out of the question uh it's just whatever happens with me it's my day to day life so a lot revolves around my family my wife is my biggest material yeah my mom my dad my brother so all of the stories kind of revolve around me and how it becomes relatable it's just based on the different age groups if there is like a matured audience they would probably appreciate like marriage jokes or probably younger audience would do okay with like parent stuff like how the parents were controlling and things like that and then you have when you're on the road and when you go to different cities you just kind of come up with a little bit of material that relates to that city so i've done uh, i've been fortunate enough to do comedy of course in texas san antonio houston austin dallas call station as well i've done one or two shows there i'll have to come back and do that uh, <laughs> yeah. but i also done new york uh, san diego la uh most of this material now uh, when you kind of are like i'm in in the comedy 5 years now it's i kind of know how to tweak it even it might be the same material but just based on the audience it, i just have to tweak it a little bit so it just changes that way yeah so how does it change according to countries then that's very interesting so uh the very first time when i went back to india and I did the exact same set that i was doing here it did not go well Yeah. It just did not translate well uh, for whatever reason and then I realized okay it's the cultural differences that I ca- kind of have to uh, adjust to. So how does it translate in different countries? Um last year I went to Japan on my way to India and I did two sets there but my material was pretty much based on just me and my marriage which was kind of universal and marriage anywhere everywhere works works the same. So that was like i just had to find what what is my universal material and just do that also in india when i did a set a lot of my co- uh, school buddies showed up um, actually 25 of my school friends showed up oh, wow for the show and they just uh, i think just an hour or two before they were like he talked something about the school or school life so i literally sat down and wrote a set, set about whatever i could remember about my school and so they had fun there so yeah every set every uh, place it's it's going to be different but i think uh, the more you do it the more you realize that you can find things that are common throughout the world um, there's so many problems so many issues so many uh, situations that are going to be the same no matter where you live so either you do that or you just write specific material to that place which is a lot more harder i would say because then you got to do a lot of research yeah <laughs> um, but I, i mean i think when i went to japan and i did some local jokes about tokyo and just found out some facts up front just did a couple of jokes about that yeah that's nice uh you also mentioned that uh, uh you would like to do this full time so 
Yes. What What is your day job then? My day job is as IT specialist at Valero. I work in a process optimization team. Uh, what we do? My job basically is asset management. So it's pretty boring. I don't really don't want to talk about it, but uh, <laughs> no, that's that's what that's what pays the bills. So I got to do it. Uh, now I'm, I'm I'm glad to have that job. Honestly, it's a nice company though, uh, and of course it's given me a lot, like a lot of things to buy, a lot of. Uh, uh, freedom to spend a lot of vacations with that so that's my day job uh, but good thing about that and i think i i think it also depends on where you work and what company you work for my company is pretty pretty nice about having a good work life balance so i do that 8 to 5 and then i have time to do comedy at night yeah but you know as you mentioned comedy is just not you know the one hour at work uh, one hour on stage right. right there's also you know the whole writing process and you have to you know manage basically two jobs and yeah. uh, uh, so how has that been over the last 5 years and how have you managed that so a lot of my friends actually said dude how do you manage that how do you do it it's you're right it's actually like doing two jobs it is literally doing two jobs because definitely to not that one hour on stage um, and even it's not just one hour on stage or a time you're there then you're hanging out with the comedy buddies or you're just mingling um there's workshops that i go to and then we just bounce up material what i do is i just sleep less that's basically what i do to manage both of these things uh it's literally uh when pandemic changed quite quite a few things but before that it was always like 8 to 5 that come home have dinner and then just go out for another 4 or 5 hours and that was every single week and on the weekends of course you have a little bit of time during the day that's when you write i used to, usually used to write late at night like when i come back from my comedy gigs i would sit down and write in this very room i would spend like an hour or something and but weekends were pretty nice because you know of course i didn't have the job job so it was just like doing comedy and well i had a third job as well i'm married so i have to give time to my wife so i do three jobs <laughs> what about social life so is comedy have you know, it, it social life affects, completely yeah it it it's actually a double edged sword right so a lot of times i i noticed when i uh, maybe year 2 or 3 when i started getting a little better in comedy um and i started getting a lot more gigs i had to sacrifice my social life like there were conflicts most of these of course when you have when you hit 30 you don't have those hanging out with friends it's always like dinner invites or it's very formal right you have dinner invites you have like birthday parties or any those kind of things they are definitely on friday nights or saturday night those are the times when i get my shows so i had to sacrifice a lot of my social life i had to apologize a lot to a lot, a lot of people but at the same time if you have zero social life and you're just doing comedy what are you going to talk about you need to go to a friend's birthday party you need to observe what your friends are doing in order to make fun of them so <laughs> you have to have that social life you have to have different experience you have to take vacations with like your spouse or your friends just go like scuba diving so you have to have those experiences in order to make material and you have to balance it So you have to balance work, you have to balance your friends, you have to balance your wife, you have to balance comedy. It's not easy, man. Yeah. Um, do do they do your friends look at you suspiciously when you show off like yeah, you're out of material so you're just here to, you know, find yeah, more. It used to happen a lot, um especially when some of them were attending my shows. Now no none of them do because uh it's weird though. I want to say that Uh, when you start doing stand up comedy any 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 art form you would you're really excited about inviting your friends and family right but you're so new at it you really suck at it you're really bad at it and that's what your family and friends see <laughs> okay and then they're like yeah this guy's not going to it's not for him 
And when over time you get better and they get bored out of it, now is the time you should be actually inviting them. But regardless, um, initially, yeah, they would they would be suspicious. They would watch what they say because I would I was so desperate looking for material, right? I was like, I want you guys to make a mistake. I want you guys to say something absurd so that I can jot that down. And I've done that. I, I'll be honest, I've done that. Uh, but over time, they get cool with it and they all have their lives. They don't really care, care anymore. I, I'm pretty sure I have a lot of material about some friends. I have material about my brother that he probably doesn't even know that I do. So uh, I think after a while, they, they don't care. And I think unless this makes it to Netflix or something, uh, they won't sue me. So we'll wait, we'll wait for that. Cool. Does your audience ever hear like, I'm guessing it's not just Indian audience that you have. So people from other countries have an issue mm-hmm. understanding your accent. That's a good question though. When I initially started and you know, much like any other uh, immigrant, when you're fresh off the board, you have a thicker accent. You Your words are different. Your vocabulary is different. And a lot of times I, I don't even remember like anything of words like lift. Yeah. Use, using the word lift versus elevator, right? We've all done that. We've all been there. So there's plenty of such words and plenty, uh, and our accent is pretty different. So when you initially start out, I didn't have that problem. I did, yes. I would do well in Indian audiences and I, with American audience, I, they would be lost what I'm saying. Then a lot of, um, over time, I lo- worked with it. Uh, a lot of my comedy buddies told me, oh, this, you're trying to say this, but the audience is probably not understanding. So Definitely training your accent was one thing. And over time, again, it's just practice and practice and practice. Now I resonate really well with American audiences because, again, it's I understand the culture. Uh, I've become part of the culture. Um, like initially, I would say first few years, I didn't even celebrate Halloween, Thanksgiving, any of it. The more I got into the culture, more I experiences, uh, the more I would say a little Americanized you become. You understand that your accent changes. You know how to say those words. You know the lingo. So yeah. it, it took it took a while, but you get there. Do you ever get hecklers in your audience? <laughs> I have been fortunate enough to not get that many. And even if they are, they just probably say one or two things and shut up or maybe I, I shut them. But not as brutal as like they've gone back and forth. I've done a lot of bar gigs and that's where you get hecklers because they're drunk and they're not there for comedy. Uh, I've tried to ignore them. I've also indulged in talks with them. Some of my jokes actually have evolved from that, like a heckler experience. But when you do clubs and when you do like proper shows, um, they're not hecklers. And the clubs are pretty much like tight about it. They're pretty much uh, strict about that. So if there is a heckler, they throw them out right, right away. So I, uh, so t- sorry to disappoint you, but I don't have a good heckler story. It's all good. It's actually better <laughs> okay. for your kind. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even, so I just wanted to say that I've gone for a few open mics here and uh, yeah, even I used to say a few things that, you know, didn't translate very well. So I say something like a train track that is, you know, that they don't understand it for some reason and you have to right. say railroad here. Right. Yeah. I did have a very bad heckler once who <laughs> made a very stupid comment about you know I, I said i'm from india and he said something i think i've mentioned it on the podcast before that are you like you know th- thank you come again indian or the oh indian or <laughs> something right. like that which was you know how obviously racist and they were very drunk so that was my uh very stupid heckler story how, how did you handle that though i think i said uh i don't, I don't exactly remember i just said some curse words and something i am not very i was very new at that time i don't know it was like three years ago or something okay but anyway so coming back to your process so uh, a lot of people jerry seinfeld for example he talks a lot about his writing process he has, he has like 
uh, every day he wakes up as like an hour where he's just does nothing except yeah. looking at a blank paper so what is your process like so uh, i'm not that um, good as jerry sanford uh, i'm not that i would say uh, i keep telling my wife like i'm super funny but the only problem is i don't focus enough so um i don't have a process process but i do have i do do this thing and i think a lot of comedians will do it anytime i think something is funny or there's some potential in something that just happened i would jot that down like literally jot that down on my phone as a, in my notes and just mark it like as short as i can be about it like this is this is what happened and this is why it's funny i haven't i have been a little lazy in the past couple of months of course thank you covid 19 but uh i would sit every night yeah and then go through my notes and see what i can write about so take those notes and draft into a bit like a an okay funny joke and then the following day go to an open mic try it out like actually so there's uh there used to be a lot of open mics in san antonio of course things changed but just take that bit and i would go to different like monday wednesday friday go to three different open mics and just keep keep repeating those things and just record them come back home listen to what worked what didn't and then actually sit down and write a joke joke so i would say i still have kind of a like a process so start with the thought make it into a bit try it on open mic come back and formulate it more uh i would say no joke is done ever you can still build on it you can still tighten it so and then when you go to shows and then you try those jokes out and it kind of builds it over time and over time i still have a joke like from probably from 4 years ago that i probably changed it now a little bit um so that's my process um speaking of covid-19 has the pandemic affected like i'm guessing a lot of the shows are canceled or closed um oh, yeah. has it opened back up now uh not all of it because there are still restrictions like i uh, i said earlier there used to be open mics like probably every single day probably multiple uh, each day they're pro- now they're like one or two a week uh most of them are outdoors we used to have regular shows in uh, so we have a club called the blind tiger comedy club that bunch of us comedians we run it in the basement of a restaurant so it's like the underground comedy scene it's actually pretty cool but with covid it's it's been weird so, but we used to have regular shows on friday 8 10 and midnight the midnight show was usually really fun and then saturdays as well so all that's reduced to just one show on friday uh in uh, the main comedy club that's the laugh out loud comedy club actually i'm hosting there all weekend this weekend but those shows decreased too there's very less opportunity so maybe if i was going doing shows say five times a week it's come down to two or one maybe but things are opening back slowly maybe another few months it'll be back do you yeah. think you're going to add um the covid-19 or the pandemic or anything in your jokes no never good so a lot of us uh, a lot of comedians will see it uh, so i don't know how much of you guys watched comedy i you do it right dk you do comedy right yeah so you might you might know the concept of shelf life jokes uh, shelf life of joke right so there are jokes there is material that can stay forever like my material about my wife my brother can literally live for 10 15 20 years covid jokes are just new and they're going to fly away so they will never be part of anyone's material like a solid material yes you start off with, especially when you're doing shows right now it's the hard thing you have to talk about it you have to address it so i've written fleeting jokes that i know are just going to be like throw away jokes that's just going to be there for now so i've written them and every other comedian has written those so it's not, not something new you got to be really really unique with that again but if you have some personal experience 
with COVID, that's that's something that you can probably write. Um, I have written jokes, but I would never say that they're part of my main material. So maybe a couple of more months, I don't even I won't even care about them. A related question to that would be, you know, how how do you not sound like a hack or not be a hack? <laughs> that's like a abuse or slang in common right. circles. Right. Yeah. Like all the stereotypical jokes. So it, I think it goes back to experience. Like the more you do it, the more you will get, you will grow out of it. Like I'm pretty sure when most of us start, and again, being an immigrant, all you want to talk about, oh, I'm an Indian. This is India is this, India is this, India is it. So you do that. And it's very obvious. It's very natural. But, but the more you do it, the more you listen to yourself, you would start questioning yourself. Is this the real me? Is this what my comedy is about? Um, but you have to get that out of your system. When I first started, all I did was like Indian jokes. All I did was, because I write a turban, I, all I did was like turban jokes, um, terrorist jokes. or Some of it was definitely true. Some of, like, I've had experiences uh, with racism a little bit. So I had to talk about it. But the more you kind of get into it, uh, the more you realize, oh, this is very hacky. This is very stereotypical. So you get that, I would say, you get that out of your system. You all go through it. The sooner you go through it, the better, better, the better the comedian you would be. Uh, it took me probably a year, maybe two, to just get those out of my system. But I never, I don't do those jokes anymore. Um, how do you not be a hack? Is um, I would say, if you can be as true as possible on stage, as honest as possible. A lot of yeah, I, unless you're a political comedian, and you have your views, which you can be true about as well. But if you're talking about yourself. And if you're being completely honest, if you just open up yourself, like this is who I am, this is how my life is going, you can never be a hack because your story is going to be really true. It's going to be really unique. There's zero doubt that you're going to be a hack. Since you mentioned you wear a turban and we live in Texas, so how has that been um, like in your personal life plus um, in your stand-up comic life? I have always been very hot. <laughs> <laughs> Like not not the hot hot <laughs> form everywhere. Uh, yeah, no, just my the top of my head. Yes, it's been it's horrible wearing a turban in this heat. But um, other than that, I, I would say I haven't. I've been really fortunate. It, I haven't had really bad experiences. So if you have a corporate life and you just have a decent social circle, I don't think so. Be it in Texas anywhere, you would run into racism. But I took stand up comedy, so I had to go to bars. I had to go to like these sleazy places that's where you probably run into uh, people especially when dk said right drunk people and they're probably not thinking and uh, they have the past to be racist that's when i have experienced a little bit i would say but uh, not a lot so i've been i've been yeah of course i've been called aladdin i've been called a terrorist but the more that happens the more it gives me an opportunity to write a joke about it and get over it um, I won't fight a guy. I'm, I'm not going to do that. Um, I can just come up with a witty comment right there or take two days and I would be like, ah, oh, I should have told him that. But then I'm like, I, okay, I can just write it <laughs> as part of my joke. And that's, that's a, a great way to, way to Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, you've mentioned, you know, you started comedy about five years back. So, and you've been getting booked on shows. A question that I wanted to ask is, you know, a lot of the big comics, they make, a lot of money on their shows like you know right. someone like a kevin hart would make like a million dollars or right. more on one night <laughs> so but starting out what is the least you've made i have the least i've made is nothing and that's always <laughs> almost every show except an open mic you know where you've been booked no, yeah but you've been booked, paid. yeah especially wow. in the okay. initial uh, years maybe until three years and 
that the more the bigger the city you get you would do shows for free you would have to do shows for free for exposure and i know people say oh this is for exposure initially you have to do it you would be so desperate to yeah. do shows to have an audience in front of you you will just do it um a lot of times like apart from these small shows and apart from the main clubs a lot of these shows happen like in coffee shops or things like that you would just do it for to get practice and i would say initially when you start off you shouldn't be saying no to any show just grab any any opportunity to get a mic it's free it's free just do it doesn't matter then you will move forward in the next step where you get offered two drinks and the next step would be you'll you'll get offered a taco take it take the taco <laughs> and do the show but another uh, i think one of the main shows that i should have probably asked for something but i didn't was uh, opening for amit amitanand oh wow uh, I've opened for a lot of people like Zakir Khan, uh, Abhishek Upamani, all of the Indian comics that who come here. Oh, nice! I've got the opportunity to open for them. Um, but Amitam was the first one. Even Atul Khatri, yeah. all of them, uh, I've done that for free, and that's just for me to get to perform in front of like two thousand people. That's a big thousand, two thousand people, and the opportunity to be friends with these guys. So I'm in touch. I'm in touch with Amitam, and I'm in touch with Atul Khatri and all those people. So yeah, you would just agree to do it for free, and it doesn't matter. And then also, you run you you are on a visa here. You cannot have two jobs, so you run into the that issue as well. So um, I would say, till you make it, make it, do it for free. Doesn't matter. Yeah, you mentioned doing two jobs. How does that work with visa status and you know legal implications, if any? Right. So you can't. Simple. The answer is you can't. You just have. You can only have one job, and if you. if your uh, h1 is on uh, an it job you just have to do an it job that's it a uh, lot of times when i do comedy at the main club it's like when you work at the main club it's like working a job there so you have to fill in the w2 forms you have to do all of that tax stuff which i can i i asked my lawyer and she like you can do it yeah. so i just go like literally this week when i'm working at the club i'm doing it for free and a lot of times i tell them either just don't pay me or just donate the money to food bank or any other charity that's what i've been doing um but again it's just to get into the the circuit and you have to you have to do you you can there's no other way i mean you must really love comedy to you know do it for free <laughs> um right i mean again it's like all this will pay off one one time yeah. it will if not i i died trying so that's okay <laughs> um so one last question is do you have any um, upcoming gigs or shows or where can people find your information so uh, let people know find me on instagram at 10 meter aurora follow i'll keep posting on that i don't have many shows coming but i do plan uh, plan to do a tour of the us pretty soon as soon as things open so i'll be doing that and that's about it yeah um and we'll also put all the links um for his shows and website on our description tiger do you have anything no i thought i asked everything i wanted to and uh, it was really great talking to you tanvi thanks a lot for doing this uh, i really enjoyed the conversation i hope our listeners also enjoy it so yeah thanks a lot thank you yeah uh, so guys if you have any um questions comments um on this episode or want to ask tanvir um let us know in the comments on facebook instagram and twitter and we'll see you next week Listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcast fixes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Veg and Non Veg Pod. If you have any questions, suggestions, comments, please email us on contact at vegandnonveg dot com.